morning, church. <laughs> there you go. Uh, that's a hot mic, and that is my wife. Um, and uh, welcome, neighbors. So, uh, hard to follow that. Uh, so, we just got back from a trip where we traveled quite a bit in a car. Like, we drove all around a lot. And you go from state to state to state to state to state, and things are a little bit different. Let's crank this down a little bit. Hey, Max. Let's crank the mic down a little bit. Thank you. Um, You go from state to state to state to state to state, and you notice different characteristics, right? So you you get into Georgia, and it smells funny. No, I'm just kidding. Um, You go from different states, and then, like, we got to West Virginia, and we had a blown-out tire. And in West Virginia, the guy comes out. uh, We had some trouble with the spare, so he was coming out to help us. And if I were to ask you some characteristics of people from West Virginia, and let's be respectful, what would you think? When I say people from West Virginia, what pops in your head? Uh, There's that. Um, Accents, right? So, like, an accent that uh, you you hear uh, was very, very country. And also super polite. The guy was incredibly nice, right? So we hung out in West Virginia. Uh, Then we went into New York, and we got into New York. And upstate New York is a weird place because where we were at Fort Drum, my wife was in the Army. And you're in upstate New York, but it's not really a bunch of people from upstate New York. It's all people that have moved there from the military. Maybe they retired there. I don't know why you would with all that snow, but people did. So you go up there, and it's a different culture, and there are different characteristics. Then we got into New York City, and my goodness, it was awesome. I got yelled at, I got cursed at, I got flipped off, all kinds of stuff. So I realized that driving in New York City is awesome, but the thing that you have to do is not use turn signals and cut people off. And as long as you do that, you kill it. So that first, like, probably, like, 10, 15 minutes, Max was making jokes. He's like, man, you're, this is not going well. You're, you're about to get killed in New York City. But then after that, you, you found out kind of the flow of things and how people live there. The reason I'm bringing up all this is it got me thinking about the passage that we're going to be talking about and citizenship. How does citizenship fit within who we are? And how is it that when we're in a place... And the things that happen in that place, how do they define us? What are some different characteristics that happen, right? So in New York, the characteristics were aggressive, fired up. They had stuff to do. They needed to get places, and they need to get places now, right? Now, what is the characteristics of someone who's a citizen in heaven? What are those characteristics like? Because Paul lays them out really well in the passage that we're going to jump into. And it got me thinking a lot about what that is and what that looks like. So, you guys want to jump in and we'll dive in here? So, if you have one of the blue Bibles that we keep, it's on page 1224. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Before we begin, let's go ahead and pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. 
Amen. So, as we get into this passage, we want to remember that we're reading someone's mail, right? So Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, and we're jumping in in the middle of this. Now, we've gone through a lot of theological heavy lifting over the last couple of weeks, but Paul's about to get super practical, and I always appreciate that. So we're going to begin in verse 17. Paul writes, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. So, the framework that we need to make sure we track with as we go through this is, Paul has been laying out this big set of talking points with this group, right? So remember, the church at Philippi, they had recently become citizens of where? You guys remember? Citizens of Rome, right? So now they're citizens of Rome. Things are going relatively well in their city. They're moving, you know, in in the right direction in a lot of places. But now Paul is responding to them and writing to them, and he's going to give them some very direct feedback. Notice that he says, brothers, join in imitating me. That's kind of nuts, right? How many of us would look at someone else in the church and be like, hey, imitate me. Right? Paul says, you can imitate me because I am following Christ. Like, I am following the example that Christ has laid out for me. And he says that keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ notice the tears he's talking about people that he went into a community preached the gospel to them people responded to the gospel a church was built people were meeting and following Jesus together and then while that's happening Some have fallen away. And Paul's response isn't to wag his finger at them. Paul's response isn't to yell at them. His response is, I tell you with tears. His heart is broken over these people. But at the same time, he uses them as an example. And he says, know the difference between the real deal and a fake, an imitation. Now, that's a pretty easy example to look at there, right? One of those is a very famous painting, and the other one looks like we did it in Kid Nation, right? But at the same time, we in the Christian community, there's a lot of imitations out there. There's a lot of things that are not people following God. There are people who speak well, maybe. There there are people who have a, a big platform, right? But their priorities aren't right. And Paul says to know the difference and to be able to discern that. You can discern it through the passions that they have. I found it interesting that Pastor Michael teed me up for this passage when it talks about bellies. I thought that was a little bit of a shot. But it's fine. But the point is, is, is valid, right? Or is their passion their appetites? Is their passion to make everything about the life that we have here, earthly life, appealing and fun? 
Is that what our desire is? Is that what we want? Do we want to make Marion County the greatest it can ever be? Or is our perspective on heavenly things? On neighbors that need to meet and follow Jesus and then reaching out to them and showing them how to do it, not about having a better lawn, not about having a better bank account, not about your selfish own desires. That's the point that he's making. And bellies are an easy illustration of that. (laughs) Makes sense. But what I love is that Paul's response to the imitation is, is tears. Are our hearts broken for those that would follow a fake gospel? Are we upset? Do we long to reach them? Where are we at? Do you know the difference in the fake and the real deal? Are you providing an example for others to follow? Can you confidently grab somebody and disciple them and say, follow the example that I'm leading because I'm following the example of Christ? Are you doing that? It's direct. It's true. Because Paul says to lock arms with him, work together as a team, and go proclaim the gospel. But are we so hung up on earthly things and having the best car we can have and the best job that we can have and the best food that we can have to worry about the neighbor next to us who doesn't know Jesus, who has maybe even allowed themselves to think about an imitation and think that they're culturally following him. Yeah, I know who Jesus is. But do they know the difference between the fake or the real deal? Now this next section, Paul continues. He says in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. I want to repeat that. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved." He begins with the idea of citizenship. Now, this is where Paul knows his audience and knows how to get through to people. Remember, the church at Philippi had relatively recently become Roman citizens, right? We've discussed that quite a bit. So imagine this group that just got Roman citizenship and all that came with it, which was a big deal. They got the Willy Wonka golden ticket of their time. Now they're Roman citizens. They have all kinds of rights they didn't have before. They had all kinds of respect they didn't have before from other people. They're Roman citizens. And Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Do you feel it sting a little bit? Americans, how great America is. We love America. True, agree. Our citizenship is in heaven. That one hits a little close to home, right? We, love, we want to be patriots, and being patriotic is not a problem at all. It's a good thing. God's blessed us like crazy. But think back to the previous point. Are we falling for an imitation? Are we allowing that to be our focus? Or do we realize that our citizenship is in heaven? 
Because the reality is, he says that Jesus Christ, who has everything subject to himself. So what does everything mean? Everything means everything, right? So Jesus Christ has everything subject to himself from the blade of grass to the cloud that he created to the comet that he tells when it goes. He has everything subject to himself. That Jesus Christ will transform your lowly, humble body into conformity with his body. Now, what is his body? His body is the church. So here's where this gets super, super interesting, right? When I hear the word conformity, I get a little itchy. I don't like conformity. I like how different. I, like, I want to be different. I want to be uh, separate from everybody. I want, I want the, the, the spotlight on me, right? I want it to be about me and my skills and my abilities and all this kind of stuff. I don't want to conform to mostly anything. But the message of the gospel is that he will transform Right? He will take one thing and make it something else into conformity with his body. Now, his body is designed to do what? To introduce people to know and follow Jesus. We as a church body, Grace Church of Ocala, are here because God has designed us to meet our neighbors and introduce them to meet and follow Jesus. Now, He brings all of our individuality into it. He's the one who created that. God doesn't mind individuality. He loves it. But at the same time, he's created that individuality to conform us into a body that is effective in proclaiming the gospel to our neighbors. Amen? Do you see it? He's transforming us into being conformed to what he would have. Now, the reality of the situation is we got to check ourselves and own our choice. Because if we're looking at that and we're saying, you know what? Our citizenship matters. It matters who we're a citizen of. Am I a citizen of Marion County, Florida, United States? Yes. But is my true citizenship in heaven? If it is, then I am called to be transformed by the God who has everything subject to himself into conformity to proclaim his gospel to lost people. That's what I'm designed for. That's what I'm built for. That's what we are built for. There's no greater calling than that. That's it. That's what, that's what we're here for. That's the reason we exist, is to worship him and to be used by him so that others may know him the way we do. That's why we're here. So, trek back and are we walking in conformity? Are we walking as a citizen should walk? Are we being transformed by Jesus? Or are we hung up on what we want to do when we want to do it, how we want to do it. I don't want to serve that way. I don't want to do that thing. I like doing this because I'm comfortable with this. Or are we allowing the God of the universe who told the blade of grass to grow, who's telling you to grow, and is equipping you to do it, are we telling him no? Own your choice. Own where we are. Don't live there but acknowledge where you are currently because our citizenship matters. Now, remember when I was talking about how Paul gets very practical? This is this next section in verse 2. He says, I entreat Euodia 
And I entreat Synecdoche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Remember that Paul is dealing with real people in a real place. Just because it's called Philippi and we've never heard of anything like that, because, I mean, how, seriously, what, how many towns you've heard called Philippi, right? Outside of the Bible. It's still a real place. And these are real people. And they got real problems. And the way this reads, we might have a little bit of a problem going on between these two people. And Paul says, I entreat them to agree in what's served on Sunday nights, right? Is that what he told them to agree on? No, he said to agree in what? In the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Because you know what? If you agree in the Lord, the rest of it kind of doesn't really matter. People have preferences. We're in a very small church body. We've had people that have had preferences that are a certain way. We can work through that stuff. But the key thing is to agree in the Lord. Do you agree in the Lord? And what he says is to walk in unity and love to squash differences, to come together. And what I love, too, is that he actually calls upon the rest of the church body to help. You see that? He says to them, I also ask you, true companion, help these women. He says, look, it's not just up to them. You're a part of a body that's being conformed to be the body of Christ, right? We are the body of Christ. You're being conformed. Part of being conformed is working together. Now, I'm a huge Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan, right? That's a picture of Tom Brady. Now, Tom Brady won the Super Bowl. Just make sure everybody knows. But the more important thing is I want you to look at his arms, okay? He's got his left hand right here. He's got his right hand. His release is right here. His eyes are where the target is. Do you see the ball? Is there a more beautiful ball that's ever been thrown? It's Tom Brady. Sorry. I am ridiculous. But the point is, he is a body that is working together to reach a goal. If his feet are off, if you've watched any football player who throws with their feet crossed or off their back foot or or any of that, you know what happens? Ball goes crazy haywire. Doesn't go where it's supposed to go. Right? Trying to throw to this person at 10 yards, and I just overthrew him by 5 yards, and I just threw an interception. That's what happens. But when your footwork and your technique is down, the ball goes where it's supposed to go. We have a lot of churches that are trying to do things with their footwork super busted. Their eyes aren't, aren't on the target. They're not locking it down. They're not following through. They're not in conformity with the God who created them. We've got to check ourselves. Are we as a church body looking at where we are, right? Figuring out together through the Holy Spirit how we are to follow God. Because when we do, he won the Super Bowl. That did happen. Right? Good things happen. People are saved. Obviously, people are saved is a bigger deal than the trophy. I just wanted a reason to put it up there. The point is, are we walking in unity and in love? Are we calling out sin? Are we connecting with each other? Are we texting each other throughout the week? Are we legitimately praying for each other? 
Are we legitimately praying for our neighbors who we're trying to meet and introduce them to follow Jesus? That's what we've got to check ourselves on. And this next section is just, it's just everything in this passage. Verse 4 reads, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Why does he repeat it? Anybody? He means it? Emphasis? Trying to get his point across? We're pretty good at being upset. We're pretty good at that. We're pretty good at being bummed about stuff. We're pretty good at being upset about things. We're pretty good at being critical. We're pretty good at finding the problems. But Paul says to rejoice in the order of service. Rejoice in the worship. He says rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Prayer is a thing that we misunderstand almost constantly. Almost constantly. Prayer is designed by God for us to meet with Him and exchange our anxieties, our concerns, our cares. We can exchange those things with God for peace. Because what happens when we take those things to God, we are reminded by the God of the universe, the God who told the blade of grass to grow, I've got this. I am in charge of the universe, and I love and care about you, and I've not lost the desire to help you with your needs. That's what joy is. Too often... We think of prayer as going to God with a whole bunch of list of things that are wrong. Amen. Bye. But you know the part that we're missing? It's not wrong bringing him your burdens. That's what we're supposed to. But pause. Wait for the God of the universe to meet with you and to point out with you that he's got this. That's very important in part of prayer. Because then when you're reminded of that, guess what happens? You respond in worship. You respond in understanding once again. Because he reminds you of all of the past experiences. That he's met your needs. He has cared for you. He's brought you along the way. He has cared for you constantly. And he reminds you of it. And then you can rejoice in the Lord. And that prayer, when you, it's fueled by prayer, you then begin to walk in peace. Notice Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be, known, be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.
we all need the peace of God. Because the moment you turn on the television, the moment you turn on your phone, the moment you go to social media, we are berated by the worst things that are happening in the world. And it feels so out of control. We just went, we're still going through a thing where so many people have died. It feels so awful right now. But you know what that's done for us? It's pointed us to, are we truly relying on God to be the source of our peace? Or was it our 401k? Or was it our bank account? Or was it our home? Or, or was it a relationship that can't bear that burden? Where does the peace of God come from? It comes from God and exchanging those burdens with Him. A citizen of heaven walks in peace. And that peace only comes from God. Because you know what happens is we, as a culture, white-knuckle it. You guys ever heard the term white-knuckle? I did a lot of that when we were driving over the last, last week. Right? So in, in New York City, where I was... I was locked in, right? That's how we live life. There's no margin there. There's no room. There's no opportunity for the peace of God because we are so clamped down on everything that's going on that peace can't come in because we didn't invite it. We didn't invite God to meet with us. And then we wonder why we're so anxious. We wonder why we are just destroyed with anxiety. But notice that God's peace is an active thing. It's not some ambiguous term that just lives in the clouds. God's peace, that passage says, guards your heart and your mind. When I say guard, what pops in your head? Just give me some images. Anything. Vigilance, okay. A barrier? I think shield. I think a guard is like someone who's on duty with a shield, right? God's peace is literally outside your heart and your mind guarding you. There's not enough of that. We don't have enough of it. You, you, you can see it. You can feel it. We don't have enough of God's peace because we've not used prayer properly. We have not spoke to the God of the universe and then trusted him to do what he said he would do and meet our needs and care for us and save the world, save creation through us, using us, being a body conformed to what he wants. How's your anxiety level? Check yourself. Think about it. Think about how many times you felt that anxiety just take over. And was your response to call upon the guard with the shield, to call upon the barrier, or was it, I can deal with this? Here's where this just became so evident to me. On the trip this last week, right, we got Max and Soph. Max is 14, Soph's 10. And we're on this trip and we're driving. And we have the trip relatively planned out. It was more of a free-flowing trip. But you know what happened constantly? Our kids 
constantly. Dad, what's next? Mom, what's next? What are we doing next? What's going on now? We get back in the car. Where are we going? What's for lunch? What's for dinner? It's not even lunchtime. I know. What's for dinner? Right? Just constant questions, constant questions. What's, what's next? What's next? What's next? And it popped in my head with this passage. That's anxiety. That's not being sure. That's being concerned about what's going to happen next and wanting to hear it. But here's what's funny. Those are our kids talking to their parents. We are God's kids, and our response is not that most of the time. Our response when we're on this journey together, right, going out and meeting people and inviting them to meet and follow Jesus, our response when it gets rocky is not, hey, Dad, hey, Dad, hey, Dad, hey, Dad. But that's what he wants. He wants us to say, hey, Dad. And he wants to remind us that he's in control and that he's got it. But we don't even ask so often. The reason is that we adults, it's been my experience. I want to speak for everybody else. I've got a lot of experience of handling things myself. I've got a lot of experience of being able to get through it. And to just white-knuckle it, make it happen, get it done, and it be relatively successful, plausible, fine. But you know what that is? That's exchanging the heavenly body, the godly body, for the lowly body. That's, That's the difference. And that's not what God has for us. God wants to conform us into a body that is effective in proclaiming his gospel. But we as people want to go with what we've done in the past so often, which is rely on ourselves. Are we walking in peace together? An active peace that guards our hearts. And finally, this last couple verses, Paul says, finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Are we walking with a godly focus? Are we walking with each other and thinking about how our diet affects us? What we take in, how it affects us, how it affects our thinking, how it affects what we want, what we do. Paul says, once again, follow the pattern, be deliberate in your thinking, and realize that a lot of people need God. Everyone needs God. Now, It's a little tough to see, but that's a picture of our neighborhood. That's the people that live right here and right here, our neighbors that we pray for every day. Those those are who God has called us to reach. And the word dwell on these things. Dwell means to live in. Live in the things that would bring pleasure and glory to God, not the things that would pull our focus away. 
Summing it all together, the big idea is that citizens of heaven walk together like Jesus. So in Kid Nation, we do a thing. And I'm asking you all to do it. And by asking you, I'm saying I'm making you do it. So in Kid Nation, to help them remember the big idea, we do hand gestures. So for everybody watching at home, we have a new technology that will tell us whether or not you do it. And you'll get a bad grade on your report card. So you must do it too. We're going to do a hand gesture for the big idea. Okay? Citizens, we understand what citizens are. So the image that we're going to have for citizens is we have our passport. Now, everybody needs to smile because this is our passport photo. So you've got to be like, that's your passport. Okay? Citizens, heaven is this. Okay? Walk is this. Together is arm in arm. And Jesus is the crown. So I'm going to do it twice, and then we're going to do it together. Okay? Citizens of heaven walk together like Jesus. Now, this is a little bigger than we normally do with the kids, and it's a lot. But I'm trusting you guys can do this. So one more time. Citizens of heaven walk together like Jesus. Y'all ready? Let's do it together. Okay. Citizens of heaven walk together. Oh, you see, you're all good. Like Jesus. Nicely done. All right. Uh, give yourselves a round of applause. That's awesome. All right. So just want to close it up real quick. Okay. Let's, let's put a button on this. Okay. We know how citizens are to walk. And our model is Jesus. We talked about ways in which we can walk in peace, walk with a godly focus, right? And the goal being the salvation of creation. That's what God has for us. Being in conformity with one another. Just want to share a quick note from Philippians. Paul is writing this while he's waiting to see Nero, okay? No matter what your political affiliation, it was worse than. Nero... Nut job, okay? He's waiting to see Nero. Very good chance he's going to die, okay? So Paul's been this go, 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 go guy. Now he's waiting to see Nero, and he writes this letter to the Philippians. Paul begins the letter with a prayer. And in that prayer, he is exchanging his anxieties, his burdens, his frustrations with being locked up in a house waiting for possible death, even though he argues that death would be better, he's still locked up. He's exchanging those anxieties and those frustrations for the peace of God, knowing that God is still in control. And the byproduct of that prayer and that focus on walking as a citizen of God together like Jesus is he wrote this letter that is now being recited back to you on a Sunday morning in Marion County, Florida. And that's just one of the millions of times this has happened. That people have heard God's word through what Paul wrote by the Holy Spirit in that time. Do you trust that what God said is true and that he has a plan for us And even though we don't understand what that plan is, he asks us to say, hey, Dad. Father, Lord, thank you so much for you. God, thank you for working in a guy like Paul. 
and for making it so clear what you would have us do. I love how practical your word is. There are so many big ideas, but you make it so tangible. Thank you for speaking through your Holy Spirit and for calling people to you. Lord, thank you for conquering sin and death. You are everything, Jesus. Thank you that we get to worship you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.